0: This is the Check for Traps podcast. I'm Josh. And I'm Aaron. And we recently saw the new Guy Ritchie movie, The Gentleman, which is maybe not an excellent return to form, but objectively a return to form. This is the first discernibly Guy Ritchie movie that Guy Ritchie has made in a while. He's, you know, strayed from his comfort zone. He made uh, a really good Sherlock Holmes movie, which I'm a big fan of. And then he corrected that by making Sherlock Holmes 2, which is one of the worst movies I've ever seen. And the most fun that I've had in the cinema. And then, you know, has been doing these, making some Disney movies. It is what it is. He made King Arthur. But now he's back and he's making, you know, a spiritual successor to Rock and Roller and Lockstock and Snatch. And it is every bit the same as them. It is structurally identical. It is hilarious in all the ways that those movies are hilarious. And it is flawed in all the ways that those movies are flawed. But kind of updated for a modern era Modern biases and modern prejudice, and yeah, I I was depressed by how much I enjoyed it. I certainly wouldn't call it a good movie, but I would never ever call it a boring movie. What about you, Aaron?
1: Yeah, I had I had like you said like you said about Sherlock Holmes two, which I've I've not seen. It was some of the most fun I've had in the cinema for a while. I couldn't call it a good movie. Someone said on one of the myriad think pieces that Garicchi is the British Tarantino, and I was like, that's a real damning. uh." real damning thing if I ever I heard it They've I, think, uh, I think we can do better
0: <laughs> yes yeah, so I agree I think they, they um when the two of them kind of came out alongside each other I think because people are pigs they drew a comparison because pulp fiction specifically and lockstock were movies that you know were kind of just about a bunch Acro- of different actors yeah yeah but yeah but a, a bunch of a bunch of different characters like actors if you will who were pursuing their own aims And they all intertwined in kind of a comical way. But the thing is, is Pulp Fiction is kind of intelligent about that. Whereas it becomes clear with hindsight that this was just a thing that Guy Ritchie did because he wasn't capable of making anything more overarching or more kind of thematically consistent. So, you know, Tarantino can do that and has done that. But I do think it's something of an insult to Tarantino that people ever said that about him or that they say they even persist saying that about him now. Um, that's weird. Guy Ritchie has certainly never made anything like the Hateful Eight, nor will he. <laughs>
1: it's such a shallow comparison because it basically relies on the fact that they both are slightly mad about film, mm. indulge in violence and...
0: And tangential dialogue, I think, yeah, is exactly. the thing that the plebs pick up on. But Damn, I'm feeling th- shitty today. <laughs>
1: Yeah, it just completely neglects like everything else Tarantino does. (laughs) Mm. The Gentleman, great cast, let's say that. he's uh, Charlie Hunnam, McConaughey. He's he's taken that Disney money and those uh, those studio contacts and he's put them to good use. He got the the men he wanted and I think largely they all do pretty good jobs. Somehow I think it might be less than some of its parts in terms of the actors. I mean, Colin Farrell gives a storming performance.
0: I mean, he's always great. I'm, yeah. I'm never, I'm never about that anti-Colin Farrell shit. Like, I can, I can never be, and I will never be. He's just too entertaining. Mr. Uh, Hugh Grant. <laughs> oh yeah, no, that was that was wonderful. Hugh Grant as, and again, like, I don't want to compliment the writing, but you know, Hugh Grant was having so much fun being slimy and ridiculous and sexually aggressive. And it's not that I enjoyed these weird characteristics present in the film or the story because a lot of it was really mismatched and stuff, but. They, I can't say that they didn't carry it. You know, we, we were laughing our asses off. So was everyone else.
1: Um, I also, as well, he's not really within our sphere so we have no reason to know of him but henry golding paul feig favorite and is a rom-com mainstay he's mm. uh he played dry eye the chinese guy uh the chinese, oh, I chinese see. guy he's um he's in crazy rich asians which obviously made more money than god i've seen him around more and more i i think he's yeah he's amazing he's very charming he he played a great son of a mobster you know mm. he felt a bit like uh i mean I, the problem is like son of a mobster is always written in precisely one
0: way which is annoying because there's definitely many things you could do with it they they inherit the gangsterism but they don't inherit kind of like the code of honor and then the you know whatever patriarch they're descending from suffers yeah and they Mm. suffer from that and that's that's just what that is you're right that is always exactly the same that is really irritating
1: yeah exactly because i watched this and then a couple days later i watched john wick one for the first time and i was like oh Alfie Allen's exactly. yeah exactly the same same, because
0: after the after the kind of melting pot of culture in the West, you know, they, they don't understand it in the same way that their oligarch father does. Yeah, exactly.
1: What was it? The Mustache Peets, as we learned they called them. Yeah. Um, but yeah, no, so that, 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 was, that was vexing. But again, like I said, comparatively minor things, I feel really strange reviewing the gentleman because my review would basically be, I had a great time but I couldn't overly recommend it, or not earnestly.
0: Well, I, ju- I, I just know. think, I think it was a, it's a fun thing to dissect because he's, I really, really like interviews with Guy Ritchie and there's it's a great one. He does, you know, about two hours on Joe Rogan, and he just doesn't shut the fuck up. Like, he loves talking. He's just a man with nothing to say. And, you know, at some point in his, like, private school life, he decided that a way of adopting a personality was all this fake Mockney shit. And it just, it you can just smell it on him. You know, he just, he just loves Cockney rhyming slang. You know, he's definitely, like, older than 50. He's probably, like, approaching 60. And there's just nothing there. And it's the same with his movies, you know, there's, they're not purposefully nihilistic, but it's just he doesn't seem to realise that he has nothing to say, and when someone is expressing themselves in that manner, I think they betray comical things, and Guy Ritchie has definitely done that, especially in This and Rock and Roller was the last kind of Guns Guns and Gangsters movie he made, and they, they both have some quite, I guess maybe we can slide into some plot analysis here, but they both have... An overarching subtext of <laughs> I'm not going to say great replacement because I don't actually think he believes that it's not that at all, but it's it's kind of a nostalgia. For... I think he might accidentally believe that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> like not not in a serious way. I'm not going to be one of those people. You know, he's, he's not like a fascist. I'm not going to be one of those internet people. That's dumb. But it's just there's in these last two there's the the homegrown classic British gangsters and then there's the invading. One's in in rock and roller. It's Russians. It's oligarchs. Tom. Yeah, this one has an oligarch as well. Yep. A... <laughs> and 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 in this one, it's the Chinese. And you know, in in rock and roller, he says, "There's no school like the old school," and I'm the bloody headmaster. And then at the end, he does actually get he gets bested by the Russians. But it's obviously because of his disloyalty and stuff. And then they eventually manage to beat the Russians back. And organised crime, you know, immoral as it is, managed to continue in the UK untainted by foreign powers at least in the narrative of the story and I it just it's a very interesting thing to duplicate you know you know twice in this case when it's something as complicated as filmmaking does kind of make a pattern and i find that fascinating yeah, about guy really
1: i mean i think this one as well has has it loud and proud like i think that is what the gentleman is referring to right mm. like it is it is referring to that that way of operating um and i think it even has it in terms of like the uh the generational decline of the actual gentleman of the nobility yes and the fact that they're selling out to crime and yeah just sort of like there's that weird scene where he agrees to pay for the guy he's abandoning's route yeah yeah it was a nice a weird nice touch and i couldn't work out why was in there for a while came to the conclusion that i guess it was it was to remind us obviously that he is you know i guess i like was we saying earlier like a responsible honorable operator yes he's an outro altru- um, he's an
0: altruistic criminal yeah, exactly. Yeah. In,
1: the, in the same way, yeah, again, like Don Corleone, you know, gives out handouts and helps mm. represent the local Italian minorities and politics and stuff like that.
0: It'd be worth. I mean, I'm gonna I'm gonna build on that point in a second, but it'd be worth me mentioning at this kind of juncture that that's why it's in there. But make no mistake, he does. He never successfully builds, in my opinion, a character for McConaughey or a character really for any of them. I don't think there's an arc, but there are hints at what maybe he imagined their arc would be but it's just that it's not really a starting and end point i mean you know where he starts and where he ends there doesn't seem to have been a growth or a learning curve but um where
1: well, le- he learned to not be soft as far as i can tell See, that, that, was, that
0: was that was what you and alec kind of settled on as being the only discernible theme and i respect that for both of you to have come to that conclusion that must have been what they were going for but i think it was a a point poorly made and also uh oh yeah no, i strange... think it, i mean i
1: had to respect for it, like I, because mm. I was thinking, because the only thing I was thinking about was like he was like, oh, I want to quit, and then he went to quit, and it went wrong. So he's like, oh, I'm not gonna quit. i gonna be arsed. <laughs> um, yeah, Even though like,
0: his involvement in this in this industry led to a situation in which a bunch of his friends were killed and his wife was almost raped.
1: Yeah, out of nowhere, by the way, as well. Out I mean, of nowhere. He said that.
0: That was the. That was the most. Unexpected and unnecessary, not even implied, uh, attempted rape in a film I think I've seen. Maybe ever. I was like, oh, they're doing that now.
1: Yeah, exactly. Because up until then, it had been, you know, for a Guy Ritchie movie, comparatively, or for a gangster movie in general, I guess pretty asexual. Well, actually, the the only major sex up until then, the replied sex, would have been um, Hugh Grant. I knew you were going to say that. Aggressive come-ons to Raymond, to Charlie Hunnam. I know it's not unique, but I think Raymond is almost exemplary for never undergoing any character change. Mm. (laughs) Like, he's one of the main characters. I'd say he's probably the second main character in this. Maybe the third, if you you, you know, a bit of jostling. But almost
0: in a, just just to build on that very quickly, much like Rock and Roller, how Archie played by Mark Strong is second in commands to Tom Wilkinson but Archie turns out to be the main character Charlie Hunnam has the most screen time and he has a lot of agency, so I think he could be argued to be the main, or at least tied main character.
1: Yeah, he is the main character, he's given the most screen time, and yet he never... He starts as an unflappable, no-nonsense gangster, and he finishes as an unflappable, no-nonsense gangster. Yes, And yes. he operates the entire film as an unflappable, no-nonsense gangster. The only thing I really... The only thing remarkable about that, that role to me was, I think it's the first time I've seen Charlie Hunnam not trying to be sexy, or not, like, overtly sexy, mm. but, Not like sort of like hyper masculine like he was just wearing jumpers and stuff and he was clearly quite a home man like he had a I liked his grill. His he barbecue. loved
0: his grill. That was definitely Guy Ritchie's grill. That's definitely oh, yeah, yeah. a recent purchase of Guy Ritchie's. He's very He's like, happy. Oh, with I'm gonna that. write
1: about my steak grill. Warms your feet or warms your Ooh. legs or whatever it says. Yeah, no, that entire thing was just like a 50-year-old man's pride and joy. <laughs> <laughs> um, that was. But then, but then, equally, you know, he wrote what he knew, and it came
0: up with some of the most unique dialogue in that. I think what I find particularly impressive and this is not a compliment to the film, about The Gentleman and about Guy Ritchie, is that, much like the scene that we're discussing right now, so Charlie Hunnam, as we've agreed, doesn't doesn't have an arc and there's no real development, but it's different from other movies where people don't have arcs and don't have development, because in a Guy Ritchie movie, more than almost any other stupid, you know, Brit gangster flick, he, he carves out space for characters to just have monologues, and they're always absurd. They'll just walk into a room, a bunch of people will be holding, like, guns at people's heads, and then, you know, he'll give... Three or four minutes of just Charlie Hunnam walking around, rolling a joint, lighting a joint, smoking a joint, and talking about what he thinks about, you know, weed culture. So it it doesn't have the same excuse that other movies have for having flat characters, because he he creates the space for them to express themselves. But in this expression, they have nothing to say other than, you know, complaining about white liberal guilt. In a situation that just does not call for it whatsoever, and then the only person who you you come you leave the theater understanding anything about is Guy Ritchie.
1: It's quite unique, yeah. That 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 weed rolling scene stuck out in my mind. There's the mm. he's literally talking about joint rolling from the '90s and now, and I guess it's trying to be like I was thinking it when he was doing it. And again, I had the Tarantino thing in my mind. I was like, is this supposed to be like the hamburger and like the milkshake thing? Mm. Is it supposed to be like a man talking about something mundane in like a high threat scenario?
0: That's an amazing comparison, by the way. I didn't feel
1: threatened in the same in the same way like you feel really like anxious yes. in that scene even though you have no connect even though you have as much connection to the Kahana Ber- Kahana, whatever it's called, kahuna burgers yes. brothers as exactly. you do to the stoners in that place somehow I there was no tension there as he was rolling it at all and I don't know why I guess maybe it's because Charlie Hunnam isn't the one doing the threatening whereas like Samuel L. Jackson and John Schrott's characters are the ones threatening them hmm. he just has uh farmed it out to bunny and the other guy i can't remember what the other guy's called can only assume that's it but yeah that was that uh, that, that was one of the points where i was like this should be better than it is
0: that's sick mate i really really enjoy that comparison because yeah it's it's everything that's great in tarantino and everything that's absent from Richie in that Richie kind of feels like he understands the aggression or something in a scene, but Tarantino actually knows how to invest it with a real feeling of intimidation. And with with Samuel Jackson, it's the Samuel Jackson is eating the burger and like drinking the soda and stuff, but it's all of like an overlay for a horrible, horrible scene of intimidation. And, you know, he'd no one will speak what's actually happening (laughs) because they're so terrified Mm -hmm. you know but and 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 he's just being you know quite socially aggressive eating the food he's drinking the stuff he's taking very long slurps and even though on paper there should the the scenes are identical because he goes in he picks up their drugs in in the gentleman he rolls their spliff smokes their spliff throws it away very quickly there's just, there's just not that, there's no tension. You're exactly, I've just repeated what you've said, but I just, I really agree with that. That's funny. No, no,
1: a combination of intent and style. Um, I would have to watch them side by side a, a couple of times maybe to, to work it out.
0: He sings uh, along, but he knows not what it means, you know. Yeah, exactly.
1: There were a couple of moments, like, so that's what made the rap, the fight porn rap video all the better, because that was its own thing. Mm. And that would never be in... That, that, yeah, I've never seen that in
0: the drill a music but Yeah, yeah,
1: yeah, and those guys in general, the toddlers in general, yeah. were were wonderful. He should stay in his lane because <laughs> <laughs> uh, that, because that, cause, yeah, he. I would have, wa- I would have watched a film about them.
0: What I loved about those younger characters is that it was actually a, a less interpretively hostile. He has this thing, obviously. How I've said about you know the foreigners show up in some of the movies, and it's not overtly racist. And it probably it may not. I'm not. I'm not going to do it. May not even be racist, but it's just funny to me because I'm watching a movie, and it can be interpreted as such. But what I do like about this one is that it does have that old school, old school meets the new school. And when the the kids broke into the weed farm, and yeah, they were doing. It was terrible. It was ridiculous. And like some of the people who we saw it with could barely stand to watch it. But you know. They, they were committing a crime, and because this is what people in drill music do, they were filming themselves doing it, and rapping, and released a video, and they had a, li- a an actual conflict with old-school geezers while in that farm, but the reason they beat them is because, you know, they did mixed martial arts, and the older ones didn't,
1: yeah. Yeah, What the other ones did geezer fighting.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. The most
1: noble type of fighting in Guy Ritchie's mind, I imagine.
0: Geezer combat. Yeah.
1: Um... I also I think I said it before maybe when we left the cinema, I did like that there was no hard feeling between the geezers. They were just like, Oh, they put up a good fight.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. They were well pleased. Yeah. You know what else I liked about Aaron? I liked that one of them walked out and then it's it's just like, What the fuck are you doing here? And then it's like, Errol, come out here And then one other guy comes out and then Errol says, Oh, Stevie, get out of here and then Stevie walks out, and Stevie's like, Oh, shitface, get out of here and shitface walks out and it's like what that kind was, of system is operating where you only respond to one wonderful. other person in the chain why didn't they all just walk out
1: no i i yeah and no, i agree it made no sense but i it, like as a joke <laughs> it worked really well because it was like oh big dave get out here <laughs> oh tiny mosley get out here <laughs> captain Spankula, get out here <laughs> Yeah. Ooh, the only thing that would have made that better if they were each holding like their own increasingly large weapon <laughs> as they walked out. <laughs> Plank with a nail in it. Yeah. Top two flags. Get out of here. <laughs> <laughs> Million dollar question as to whether you've done your homework. Do you know what the gentleman was called before it was called the gentleman? It's a shit name. It's actually a name we saw on on the screen because I think it might be the name of a production company involved with this. But right. it's Toff Toff guys.
0: Oh t-o-f-f
1: so i I guess it's supposed to be like tough guys but also like toffs as in posh people yes
0: fucking terrible (laughs) yeah bastards (laughs) Um, guy we're we're not going to do that oh but why not oh it's good isn't it oh yeah apples and beans oh i love no no guy this is another one of your terrible ideas oh but they're all fucking terrible aren't they but people love them no but Mm -hmm. guy this is this is too bad and we have to stop you.
1: <laughs> he does need to be stopped, or at least like just consigned to Disney films. I think that's a good purge yes. for him. Another thing, sorry. So when I was looking, we're doing some research into Tough Guys. Uh, the plot was also slightly different. It seems like it changed a fair bit in uh, in production. The, the the synopsis for Tough Guys was Tough Guys explores the collision between European old money and the modern marijuana industry. It follows a drug lord attempting to cash out of his highly profitable empire by selling it off to a dynasty of Oklahoma billionaires. That's not quite the film that we got, but no. it does have many of the same beats. It also doesn't. It's not a collusion between European old money; it's very much British old money. So I'm wondering yes. what happened there, unless this is that was Yanks describing it. But also, yeah, it's quite interesting that it seems like perhaps the aristocracy were initially more of an active partner. I would I would conclude from that, and also that there was going to be a cartel of people trying to buy them out.
0: That's much more interesting than the film we got and that's the thing there
1: were what he thinks he's doing compared to what he's actually doing. Yeah, yeah. I can only imagine on during the process of writing and cuz again he he writes and directs and does it all but he's not, he's not I was probably really means so he's
0: not very good at it but he's fine at it. You know what I mean? He's not he's not Tarantino. <laughs> no, he's not no he's not Tarantino. And yeah he, he's just the, the the main thing to realize about Guy Ritchie is just that the man just doesn't actually understand what he's doing. He thinks he does, but he doesn't. You know, he talks about he talks about storytelling, you know, in this in like incredibly esoteric and complicated way. He makes all these allusions to the Bible. And, like he always talks about how the story of the prodigal son is the true story of every narrative in literature. And it's like, it's just bullshit. Like he just he just says things. But the thing is, is he's a guy who came from a background, and you know, obviously he went to all of these dickhead boarding schools. And I think he just probably had a bullshit power over some of the people around him who were interested in other things. You know, if there's only one in 30 kids in a class who's actually into movies, then they can say anything and no one will ever challenge them on it. And, you know, then I think that he thinks... Oh well that's that's right there that is but yeah I mean to, the movie was very entertaining because it was very it was very funny not on purpose a lot of the time mm-hmm. but it was also you know it was refreshing because it at least wasn't a kind of an adaptation but yeah I just I think that the, the the thing that keeps me coming back is that he just has no fucking idea like, he, like if he told you what he was trying to say with this if you could sit him down it would be so so different from what you got rock and roller actually has a slightly more coherent thing in that he'd risen up from making movies about people who are robbing mansions with rifles or selling rifles because they're antique rifles you know in Lockstock or snatch which just involves like throwing fights and shit mm-hmm. rock and rock and roller the opening of rock and roller is just people talking about property and mm-hmm. skyrocketing <laughs> property prices and that the, the whole thing is about the mobs attempt to secure you know buildings and circumnavigate. You know the regulation and the you know the paperwork and all of that to increase their wealth. And you yeah. know that that that's interesting. The the gentleman kind of does miss its mark because it doesn't really do the whole old money versus new money in the way that I think it probably shoots for and
1: no definitely oh yeah no it was really ridiculous i think it's uh yeah i i don't know it made me walking out being really happy because i was like i wish more bad the bad is too strong a word but i wish more not great films were that entertaining yes I, honestly i would have a much better time i'm so tired of films being boring and then, fuck okay, it, if this is the trade-off, then I'll take it, frankly. it's it was
0: brilliant. You've, you've, yeah. summed it, you've summed it up so well, it's just like, Jesus Christ, can you... Boring is the real crime, isn't it? Because, you know, the, these movies aren't boring, his movies are not boring, and... The reason it... we'll go see them, right? I mean, like...
1: Yeah. I can't think of another person who we disrespect as much as Guy Ritchie, who we would probably nearly always go out and see... Like you said, sort of like an on-brand Guy Ritchie film. Like, yes. we're not we're not heading out to Aladdin... No. I do want to still
0: see the man from UNCLE. We can do it as part of the Cavalcade. Coming this year. Oh, yes. 2020. The Cavalcade. The number one news show about Henry Cavill, <laughs> hosted on YouTube, um, put got like together that. by an alcoholic and a PTSD Jew.
1: <laughs> it's got like that, uh, that like, news opening thing, like the ticker tape playing. <laughs> it's like, welcome <laughs> to, the ca- to the Cavalcade. <laughs> I'm your this, host, Henry Winslow. <laughs>
0: this just in on the fax
1: machine. So Josh, I have a fact about, about um, Guy Ritchie that I, yes. I don't think you will believe. But I have seen Guy Ritchie conduct an entire interview in Hebrew. <laughs> what he he speaks poor but fluent conversational hebrew. hebrew and the thing is it's because guy ritchie is so confident and an idiot that he can pull off like a conversation in hebrew with with like a very basic if functional vocabulary because my he hands has are over shame. my eyes
0: my hands are over my eyes <laughs>
1: yeah it's because he's i think he's married <laughs> to and i think he has children with a jewish lady um, and he has within the last few years since that happened learned conversational hebrew which is very impressive and he's bold enough to speak this on press tours with israelis because he did it for the aladdin press tour and you can, see the, you can see the interviewer, she's clearly very charmed, if slightly disconcerted, oh. by this man's very basic <laughs> answers. But it is wonderful, I suggest you check it out, and I suggest everyone check it out, because it really made my day when I was doing some research into to Guy
0: Ritchie. And so you, I'm looking you forward you couldn't, to couldn't the... You couldn't have told me a better thing. You couldn't <laughs> have told me a better thing. That's better, that's better than when, being a teenager, everyone knew, categorically, because of the news that Guy Ritchie had allowed Madonna to bang him with a strap on. And that's a hilarious story. Yours is actually better. It's only funny because of his very strange and unreconstructed male attitude towards homosexuality. He he wants to remain friends with his gay friends, but he also wants them to stand several feet away from him. And that's something that is, again, it's in Rock and Roller, and again, it's in this movie. It's, um, it's truly something to behold. And I wouldn't want movies to exist that didn't show an expression of that kind of weird guy that he is. So I'm, I'm completely fine with it. Yeah,
1: like you said, you walk away from those scenes knowing only more about Guy Ritchie, <laughs> but you don't know about his Hebrew, so not until the next film, Cosa Nostra Oh yeah,
0: I'm all about that Hebrew Oh yeah oh. And mm. glory be to Ashem, right? Mm. Ah, yeah
1: I got myself a circumcised strap on here, let's fucking do it Oh,
0: mm. <laughs> when Jacob wrestled with that angel, I bet he was doing mixed martial arts, otherwise he wouldn't have fucking won would he? <laughs> I can got him in an (laughs) (laughs) armbar. Sorry,
1: I actually have. I I want to spoil it. So, do you know what film Guy Ritchie is making next? No, please. So he's remaking a 2004 French film.
0: 2004. I suppose that is in remake territory. But you know, me and you are just getting older. So it's called Cash Truck. The original French
1: film is called The Convoy uh, or The the Conveyor, uh, uh, maybe. Uh, And yeah, it is a pretty much unknown, unknown French film that Guy Ritchie must have watched one night while practicing Hebrew. Uh, and lo and behold, Jason Statham's in it.
0: (laughs) I guess probably, you know, he was the transporter, now he's the conveyor. Fucking hell. Mm -hmm. (laughs) He was was the transporter, he was the mechanic, and now he's the conveyor.
1: Well, we've been check Traps. Go watch The Gentleman on Amazon Prime in six months' time.